0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This message is from our evidence series, which is taught from the book of Esther. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, let's take our Bibles today. Let's open up to Esther chapter number two, Esther two this morning. And uh, again, happy Mother's Day to all of you moms and dads. All right, really just moms, but... Uh, we have, we'll celebrate dads later on in the year, but um, you know what? When you think about Mother's Day, um, I hope that, uh, I, I don't know, um, in a crowd of this size, I, there's probably people here who uh, perhaps did not have a good relationship with your mom. And uh, I just want to tell you, if you didn't have a good relationship with your mom, uh, just pick an older godly lady here in the church and just, just treat them like a mom. And we've got some amazing ladies here at the church and praise the Lord for, uh, for that relationship. And then I also wanna say this today that there's some of you uh, as mothers um, that you've lost children and there are children that have beat you to heaven. And I just wanna tell you on a day like today that I pray for you and pray for the families that have lost uh, children. And then I also pray for those of you who maybe your mom has already passed into eternity. And uh, I, I pray for you today. And I hope that you would just recall maybe the goodness of God to uh, perhaps give you a godly mother. And I'm looking around thinking of folks in here and their testimony. I, I'm looking, uh, Barb Kerrigan and uh, man, her mom, a godly lady for years walking with the Lord. and, and telling her daughter about about Glenn and uh, praying for her family and praise the Lord for that. And I think of my own grandparents and my grandmothers and both of them been in heaven for a number of years. And many of you, many of you have a story of a godly mother. And I just want to take time to tell you, we're praying for you on this day and thankful for the influence that those have had in our lives. Well, this morning, Esther chapter two, we're going to get right back into our series. And the series is called Evidence and uh, seeing God when you don't see God, just studying out the book of Esther. And the reason we're calling it that seeing God, we don't see God is because as you look through uh, the entire book of Esther, you don't find the name of God written one time. Uh, You really don't find even any reference to God. But even though you don't see God's name through the the book, God is very evident all throughout the entire uh, book of Esther and the story of Esther. And uh, we would recall, and of course, Uh, going through some of the the timeline. I know we really can't see much of this just because of the fonts, but uh, the book of Esther would take place somewhere uh, right around 485, 483 BC, and would last about 11 years. Esther, of course, she would become queen. We'll see that taking place uh, today in our passage. But as you go through, she uh, would have been uh, right after Ezra, right before Nehemiah, right after Haggai and Zechariah, would have been some of the prophets and so what we kind of took time to, uh, to look at last week was uh, setting the, the groundwork of what was taking place. So if you will recall the children of Israel, uh, God had prophesied that the children of Israel would be taken into captivity. That took place under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Uh, We have the book like the book of Daniel, that would happen. So it was right at the end of the book of Jeremiah. And so they would go into captivity. But the prophecy was that after 70 years, the children of Israel would be allowed to go back into their own land. And God had actually told them, when, you, uh, when your time has come and your 70 years is up, God had told the children of Israel, I want you to go back to Israel, go back to Jerusalem and reestablish society that is worshiping me and the, the, uh, the temple and all of the worship that would take place. That was God's plan. Well, that came to pass in the life of Ezra. But what happened is when Ezra went back to Jerusalem, went back to Israel, we know that hundreds of thousands of Jews stayed in the land of their captivity. They had already had productive lives. Many of them had jobs and even businesses, and some of them had some status in society. And so really they were, they were being disobedient. They had known God had told them to go back, but they didn't. And so when you read the book of Ezra, Haggai, Zechariah, Nehemiah, you're reading what takes place with those who went back to Jerusalem. But when you come to the book of Esther, you're actually reading about the Jews that didn't go back. There's just a little glimpse about what took place. And here's one thing that I've kind of, uh, I've loved uh, kind of coming back to as I'm studying this out that I love the fact that God, he still showed mercy and grace to the children of Israel in the book of Esther, even though they were living in what we would call disobedience. God had told them to go back, but they had not gone back. They were not going back. And yet in the book of Esther, we see God showing so much grace and so much mercy. You know what I think that reminds us of is it just ought to remind us that our God is a very gracious God. He is a very giving God. And sometimes uh, if we'd be honest, every one of us would raise our hand. You don't need to. But if I were to ask how many of you would admit God should probably just strike you down sometimes, all of us, our hands would go up. Oh yeah, that's me. Man, every one of us. But you know what? God in his grace says, I'm going to have grace and mercy in your life. I'm going to give you another chance. I'm gonna give you another opportunity to follow me. And that's what we see in the book of Esther. Last week we were introduced to King Ahasuerus or King Xerxes. He reigned over 127 provinces. This King Ahasuerus, uh, Ahasuerus, of course, just kind of means his majesty, so this would be King Xerxes, it would be, though, the one that we believe this is, and King Ahasuerus, though, he was a very proud man, wasn't he? Remember the party that he threw last week, if you were here? He threw two two separate parties, one that lasted 180 days, six months, he threw, and the reason that he threw this 180-day party was to celebrate him. That's what it was for. He invited all of the princes and all of these rulers from all 127 provinces. Hey, come celebrate my goodness. And you can go back and you can read Esther chapter one, I think verse number four. And it kind of shows us that they were there to, he he was kind of flaunting his riches and flaunting uh, his prestige and flaunting his nobility and flaunting the fact that he is just this, look at me, I'm this great ruler. We learn not only did he want to flaunt his riches, but he goes even farther, and he desires to not only celebrate his goodness by saying, look how rich and how great I am, but then he wanted to flaunt his wife. And so he calls for Queen Vashti, or Vashti to come and to almost model for all of these princes that are there, see, because they had a 180-day par- party, and then he threw a seven-day party for just the, the locals of Shushan the palace. And it's during that time at the end of it that he gets himself, uh, the Bible leads us to understand that he gets himself completely drunk to where he's almost just, he's not, he's not thinking logically at all. And he calls for Queen Vashti to come and model her beauty before his counselors and before his closest friends. Man, that's just sickening. And, and I'm not gonna get into it this morning, but that is just, that it, it's just vile what he was trying to do. And well, Queen Vashti, an ungodly woman, she has the character to say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And he, in his drunken stupor, he it begins to wonder, well, what do we do with Vashti? And you remember the counselor, what was his name? Remember, remember? Mamukin. remember? Mapukin. Counselor Mamukin, he says, Well, King Ahasuerus, if Vashti is going to disobey you, all of our wives are going to disobey us. You need to, you need to do something. Put your foot down. Be the man of the house, Queen King Ahazuerus, and kick her out. And so the king listens to Mamukin and banishes Vashti. Well, we know he looks back on that decision with regret because of Esther chapter two, verse number one. It says that when his wrath was appeased, he began to think about Vashti and what he had done. He looks back and he realizes, I I had a wife, life was pretty good, and now I'm single and life is not pretty good and I miss her. And he, he began to kick himself for banishing her. And what we took time to see last week is that while all, of this, uh, while all of these decisions were taking place, and it would almost seem like God was absent from the scene, what we took time to see is that God would actually use Vashti being banished for the chapter we're going to read today where Esther is set in place. It's a phenomenal story because even though you don't see God, God is all over the pages of the book of Esther. And so I want you to stand with me. We're going to start in Esther chapter number two, and we're just going to read the first eight verses today. We're going to go through the whole chapter and learn some truths. And I'm looking forward to our study. Esther chapter two. And beginning in verse number one, we read these words: "After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what she had decreed, what he had decreed against her." Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him. So they, they saw his, uh, his uh, state of discontentment, they saw his state of anger, and they say. Uh, let there be fair young virgins sought for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather together all the fair virgins unto Shushan the palace, to the house of the women, unto the custody of uh, Hagi, the, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women, and let their things for purification be given them and let the maiden, which pleaseth the king, be queen instead of Vashti. And the thing pleased the king and he did so. Now, in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity which had been carried away uh, with Jeconiah or Jehoiakim, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. Now, pause right there. Let me just explain what that just said. In Shushan the palace, there was a man, his name was Mordecai. Mordecai's great, great, great grandfather, four generations above him, a man by the name of Kish, who was a Benjamite. So that means Mordecai was of the children of Benjamin, okay? That man, Kish, was part of the group that was taken away when Nebuchadnezzar came in. So Kish was a part just like Daniel was. A lot of people read that and they say, oh, Mordecai was a really old man. He was taken away with, that's not saying Mordecai was taken away, it's Kish who was taken away. And so go, go there, verse. Uh, I think it's verse number six. It says, and he brought up Hadassah. Is that verse, no, verse seven. He brought up Hadassah. So Mordecai brought up Hadassah. That is Esther, his uncle's daughter. For So Esther was his cousin. For she had neither father nor mother and the maid was fair and beautiful whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard and when many maidens were gathered together into Shushan the palace to the custody of uh, um, Haggai that Esther was brought also unto the king's house to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women." So here's what you have taking place. This is telling us King Ahasuerus regrets his decision. They come up with this plan to bring in fair young virgins before the king and whichever one pleased the king, he's going to select to be the new queen. Well, in that group is a young lady by the name of Hadassah or Esther, who her cousin Mordecai had taken her in to raise her as his own. Does that make sense this morning? That's all that we just read. We're gonna dig into this chapter. It's a great passage. And what we're gonna see this morning is kind of something Micah, Micah stole the words out of my mouth a few moments ago when he introduced the song, and it's this thought. Never underestimate the influence that you have. Never underestimate the influence that you have, We're gonna see that in Esther chapter two this morning. And so let's pray together and ask the Lord to be with our time. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take just a moment and just commit the Lord, commit the time to the Lord and ask God this morning to speak to your heart. Ask God to help you today, to hear from him and to be able to respond to him as he speaks to you. Lord, again, we thank you for the word of God and thank you for uh, the passage before us. And Lord, I just wanna humble my heart before you and recognize, God, that I need you and I I desire for you to speak through me. Lord, I pray that everything that's said and done would bring honor and glory to you. Lord, that your words uh, would flow through me today and that we would hear what you have for us. And God, that you challenge us this morning. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. You ever had a time in your life when, um, when you just felt like someone was watching you? You know, maybe it's that time, if you're like me, uh, it happens often, I'll be sitting at a stoplight here in town, and I'll be sitting at a stoplight, and you can almost feel someone, just, I'm not talking about the weird, creepy stalker look, watching you, I'm talking about just somebody you know that's trying to get your attention. I'll be sitting there at a stoplight, and I can feel it. You know, you can feel like, okay, someone's watching me right now. And you begin to look around holding the steering wheel, looking. And sure enough, at the intersection, at the, sitting at the stoplight is maybe somebody from church and they're just staring at me. Some, sometimes they're waving, sometimes they're just going. <laughs> but you know someone's staring at you. <clears throat> For many of you, it was growing up when you knew mom was always watching, right? <laughs> Moms have eyes in the back of their head. I remember when I was a little kid, like trying to check. Like, mom, could I see the back of your head? Because I really think you have eyes in the back of your head. And you know what we do? Uh, when someone is watching us, if you're like me, when someone's watching you and you maybe, maybe don't know who, or you do know who, you don't know sometimes what to do. Like, what do I do? Uh, if, if, it, if someone's watching me and I don't know who it is, I know I shouldn't pick my nose. Why? Because they'll catch me. All right, if someone's watching me and... I do know who it is. You probably still shouldn't pick your nose. But you've ever been in the situation when you know someone's watching and you just don't know, you just don't know what to do. As you come to Esther in chapter number two, we're introduced to a man whose name was Mordecai. And somebody was watching Mordecai, but unlike us in our situation, Mordecai knew exactly what to do. And we're gonna see this morning some things about Mordecai that I believe are gonna help us, whether you're a mom, a dad, a grandparent, or just a friend. I think there's some truths that we can learn from the life of Mordecai that will help us today in understanding how to invest in those around us. I want you to notice a few thoughts with me this morning. Number one, take your Bible and look with me at the ideas of a godless culture. Notice the ideas Of a godless culture. As our story opens up this morning, we begin noticing again what we saw last week, the emptiness of Ahasuerus. His emptiness, he was there and he was beginning to be lonely with Queen Vashti gone. And and what we read just a moment ago is the counselors, they saw that. They saw his loneliness. They saw the state that he was in, the maybe depression. And perhaps they thought, you know, when Vashti was around, he took out his anger on her. Now that she's gone, we're next in line. We need to find him a new wife. Maybe that's what they thought. I don't know their train of thought, but they saw the anger. They saw uh, the frustration in Ahasuerus, and so they come up with this plot. Now, let me just tell you a few things about this plot. This, this plot is a, a, a really just a crazy, crazy plot, crazy plan, a crazy decision. And I want you to see this. Mamukin's idea, hey, get rid of Vashti, foolish decision. The king's decision to go along with Mamukin. foolish decision. And now, Esther chapter two, verse number one, Ahasuerus recognizes that. But I want you to notice that after they've already made foolish decisions, the foolishness just continues. Go to Esther chapter two, and let's read verse nine down through verse number 14. Esther 2, verse 9. It says this, and the maiden, so this is now talking about Esther with Haggai, or Haggai, the keeper of the women. The maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him, and he speedily gave her her things for purification, which uh, with such things as belonged to her and seven maidens which were meat to be given her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. Esther had not showed her people nor her kindred for Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. Now, verse 12. Now, when every maid's turn was come to go into King Ahasuerus, after that she had been 12 months according to the manner of women, for so were the days of her their purifications accomplished, to wit, six months with oil of myrrh and six months of sweet odors and with other things for the purifying of the women. Listen, ladies, these, these fair young virgins, they just got the uh, royalty treatment of going into... Um, like a spa type system for 12 months. Some of you are like, sign me up. 12 months of not having to do anything, just being pampered. That's, that's what that verse says. But before you sign up, read more. <laughs> verse 13, then thus came every maiden unto the king. Whatsoever she desired was given, unto, was given her to go with her out of the house of the women unto the king's house. In the evening, she went, and on the morrow, she returned into the second house of women to the custody of Shehashgaz, the king's chamberlain, which kept the concubine. She came in unto the king no more, except the king delighted in her, and that she were called by name. Now, let me just tell you this morning, and we don't have time to to dive into everything, nor would I want to um, this morning, But here's what the scenario was. The scenario was, let's find fair young virgins, women who have never known a man. Let's bring them to the king. And those two, the king and her, she will become a concubine. She has a relationship with the king. And the king is going to pick a queen based upon that. That's shocking, isn't it? I mean, that is is utterly, that is, it's disturbing. But this is their plan. And so women would come, and it was almost this glorified beauty contest. It's just a glorified beauty contest. When I look at this decision, I call this point the ideas of a godless culture because in that plan, we see complete godlessness. It is just a plan filled with sensuality. It is just a plan filled uh, with sinfulness. That's really the entire plan is, is a godless idea. But what do we expect from godless people? I mean, the truth is we should expect people without God to behave like people without God. And that's exactly what they're doing. And here you have some very absurd ideas from a godless king and his godless counselors that is driven by lust, driven by selfishness, driven by complete sinfulness. The ideas of a godless culture. Can I just tell you this morning that when God is left out of decisions, things can get crazy? I mean, just, I know it's a very simple statement, but when God is left out of decisions, things go downhill. Drunken man, in selfishness, throws a party. In that selfish, uh, drunken state, he says, wife, come model for all of my friends. And even, uh, even the godless culture that they were in, that was a taboo, that was no. And yet he made that decision. She didn't come, what do I do? Mamukin, cast her out, cast her out. Another bad decision. Chapter two, verse one, he regrets his decision. Chapter two, verse two through verse number 14, they come up with this great plan and all we see is that it is just godless choice after godless choice after godless choice time and time and time again. And really, they're, they're kind of just getting themselves deeper, aren't they? When God is left out of decisions, things get crazy. It was true in King Ahasuerus' day and it's true in our day. Can I just tell you, when God is left out of the decision? People in our day and age make some pretty crazy choices. I mean, if you know the Lord, how often do you look at the news or some decision maybe a friend or a family member make, and you know they're lost, and you know it's an ungodly decision, but you almost just want to go, what are you thinking? What, what, what are you doing? If I can talk about something this morning, I, I think about a lot of the political arguments that we see being uh, argued today. Since it's here on Mother's Day, I want to mention one that I think about. I think about the godless decision and the absurdity that's called abortion. I, I, for the life of me, I do not understand the support of abortion. And I'm not going, maybe you're here and you've had an abortion. Listen, if that's you, I want to talk to you about the grace of God. And I want to talk to you about the mercy of a loving father that wants to restore and bring you back into a very healthy relationship. And so if you're here and you've had that, listen, there is help for you and there is healing for you based upon the principles of Scripture. Scripture. But for those of us in here that have maybe never been through that and we just see it in our culture, can I just help us understand something? It is a godless, godless culture that is making that decision. And while we're not going to really get into a lot of things this morning, we have gotten into the place in our society where people will not, on a Mother's Day, people will not even call a baby a human being anymore. You might've seen this last week, an interview that a certain person had uh, on one of the news programs. And in the interview, the the lady said, uh, in a very argumentative tone, she said, I do not care what you say. What is inside a woman is not a human being. And that was on, on news. Listen, it has taken a lot for our country to get to this place. But we are living in a godless culture. And now in some states they're talking about, listen, they're talking about killing the baby, not only before 16 weeks or 24 weeks, now it's at nine months on the day of the birth, you can choose to kill the child. And if that, listen, listen, this is sickening. And, and you're not, teenagers, you're not gonna hear this in the public school. You need to get back, we need to get to the word of God and understand God's thought about this because here's what they are saying. If the the abortion is not successful and the mother still gives birth to that thing, set it on a table in a room and let it die. You say, pastor, they're not doing that. It has already passed in more than one state. Listen, that is godlessness. That's the idea of a godless culture. We have god—we have a godless culture that's attacking marriage. We have a godless culture that is attacking uh, uh, different decisions that people make, and we have a—we have a godless culture that is attacking literally the core of humanity. It's the ideas of godless culture. Let me just tell you that our godless culture has messed with education, messed with the home, messed and made so many foolish decisions about medication and about uh, discipline. There is just so much godlessness going on. But can I say that shouldn't surprise us? And here's why. This know also that in the last days, man, perilous times are gonna come. A few verses later, Paul said, evil men are just gonna wax. Evil men and seducers shall wax or grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And all across the board, we find the truth. Listen, that when God is left out of a decision, crazy things happen. Don't forget that when you go to make some decisions this week. Don't leave God out of it. Don't leave God out of that marriage Don't leave God out of that job. Don't leave God out of that uh, move. Don't leave God. Well, it's just the best thing for my family. Did God say it? Is God behind it? Don't leave God out of decisions. The ideas of a godless culture. But I want you to see with me, secondly, this morning, the the involvement, God's involvement in a godless culture. God's involvement in a godless culture. While the ideas of King Ahasuerus and his counselors were totally crazy, I want you to notice God working in a very, very special way. Go to Esther chapter 2 and verse number 15. Here's what you read. Now, <clears throat> when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, so Abihail was Mordecai's uncle, Esther's cousin, so Mordecai and Esther are cousins who had taken uh, her for his daughter, when it was her turn to come uh, to go in unto the king, she required nothing. But when Haggai, the uh, king's chamberlain, the keep, keeper of the women appointed, and Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her, so Esther was taken unto King Ahasuerus into his tent royal in the 10th month, which is the month to Beth, in the seventh year of his reign. That'd be January of that year. And the king loved Esther above all the women and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins showed, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king made a great feast unto all his princes and his servants, even Esther's feast. And he made a release of the provinces and gave gifts according to the state of the king. And when the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai set in the king's gate. Esther had not yet showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her for Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up with him. So now we have this king and his counselors. They're making a, this uh, godless, excuse me, godless approach to marriage and godless approach to solving their problems. But we read that in the midst of their godlen- godlessness, God is in complete control. God is using their godless decisions to bring Esther to the throne. I have this statement and I think it's very helpful. God is using the foolish and sinful decisions of the ungodly to bring about a beautiful plan. You say, pastor, what's the beautiful plan? I didn't really catch it as we were reading. It came turn for Esther to go before King Ahasuerus. And the Bible says that Esther was the one that King Ahasuerus chose to take the place of Queen Vashti. So here you have this godless decision, these godless ideas in this godless culture, and yet God sets up a godly queen in the office of queen. A godly young lady in the office of queen. Man, this is something that only God can do. I mean, what an amazing thing! You see, as we're going through this series, it's it, we're we're going to see it in a little bit. It is going to be because all, all because of Queen Esther that the whole nation and people group of Israel are saved, and God is setting all of that in place. And we saw Him setting the stage last week by allowing Vashti to be banished, and now we see Him setting the stage even more this week by Esther being set in place. And so God, He used their uh, shameful plan to. Break bring about a plan to save his people. Can I just tell you this morning, as we think about the ideas of a godless culture, don't you ever think for one minute that God has lost control of what is taking place here on this earth. Don't think that God is surprised by the attack of abortion or marriage or education or in the home. Don't think that God is sitting on the throne going, whoa, whoa. I did not see this happening. No. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. God knows exactly what's taking place. Here's what the word of God says in Proverbs 21, verse 1 and 2. The king's heart, it's in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. What's that saying? Hey, listen, here's what it's saying. God's on the throne. God is still in control. Men may think, I'm making my decisions. I am doing this. And while God is not some puppet master in heaven causing you and I to make decisions, God uses even wrong decisions to bring out a righteous God-honoring plan. Go study out the Old Testament and how God used the Philistines or the Amorites uh, or the Midianites, people who were godless, and yet God used them to bring about a perfect plan. And what I want to to see this morning is even though you see the ideas of a godless culture, we can step back and we can see evidence of God's involvement, even in a godless culture. And here's the fact this morning, God can use even the most godless decisions and situations to bring about an amazing plan. I think about a book I read a number of years ago. The book, the title of the book is called The Insanity of God. That's in a different title, isn't it? The Insanity of God. I got this reference to me, referred to me, and I thought, well, it's a different title, but I'll, I'll give it a go. And you know what? This is one of the best missions books I have ever, ever read. And inside of that book, it's a very long book, but inside of that book is mission story after mission story. And one of them, I'll tell you very quickly, it was a man who was a Muslim. And this man, he was in a Muslim military militant group and he would go around uh, in the name of Allah and he was going around killing whoever did not subscribe to his form of worship. In the interview, he was asked, how many have you killed? And he said, by my own hand, not counting warfare of just shooting a gun, but by my own hand, I've killed over a hundred men. And this man was steeped in a godless culture. And I don't have time, but through the series of some events, he was brought face to face with the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah of the world. And he received Jesus as his savior. And he did a complete 180. And God used him to lead, lead many, many people to the Lord. And at the end of this interview, this man, he's talking and he says this about his relationship with God. He said, I have given him everything. My body has been broken. I have been jailed. I have been starved. I have been beaten and I have been left for dead. He was asked the question, was it worth it? And at the end of everything, this man hugging the interviewer face to face, hugging him said it was worth every minute of it. Now I tell you that story because what I see when I read that is godlessness, And yet God using that to bring somebody to Jesus and turning it into a beautiful story. That's God's involvement in a godless culture. I see this morning the ideas of a godless culture. But then I see God's involvement in the godless culture. I want you to notice thirdly today, an individual with a godly character. Notice an individual with a godly character. In our story, we meet a man by the name of Mordecai. Mordecai, he is he's there, and the Bible has some things to tell us about Mordecai, and we don't have time to go through all of this, so I'm just going to uh, briefly get through it. Here's some things we know about Mordecai. We know he was a Jew, but we can gather from uh, the story and what we know about Mordecai that Mordecai was a good man. That's what Mordecai was. He was a good man. We'll see his goodness in just a minute. I believe that Mordecai was a godly man. Here you have in the book, I believe Mordecai wrote the book of Esther, and one of the reasons that you could not, one of the reasons that God's name is not not in the book, I believe it's because it was illegal. I think Mordecai could not write this book and have it be known and put the name of God in there. But there are a few little writer's cues that Mordecai gives to us that would help us understand that he loved God, that he was a a godly man, and that he was a God-honoring man. The first cue would be when he references that he's from the house of Benjamin. That would be the people of God, not only from Israel, but Benjamin. Whenever you look in the word of God, many times, someone who's attributed as being a child of Benjamin, it's pointing out their godliness. Another reason is because we know of his character. If you were to go to Esther chapter two, verse, uh, 20, uh, verse 21 through 23, you find there's two guys, Bigthan and Teresh. Don't you love these names? Mamukin. Ahasuerus, Bigthan, Zeresh, Shahashgaz, hegai That's just great names. But Bigthan and Teresh, they come up with a plot to to kill King Ahasuerus. Mordecai finds out about it, tells Esther, and then Esther, she tells the king, it's found out, and Bigthan and Teresh, they're hung. All because of Mordecai doing the right thing. Now, I wanna help you understand something it would have been more profitable for Mordecai not to do the right thing. Why? Because King Ahasuerus was not a God-honoring man. And Mordecai could have let King Ahasuerus die. That might've been better for the people of God at this time. But Mordecai, he did the right thing. He had integrity. He had character. He did the right thing. As I look at Mordecai, I see a good man and a godly man, and I see a man that honored God. We're gonna see later on that he feared God and that he reverenced God and that he uh, was one who sought after God. We'll see it through his prayer and fasting in the next few weeks. But when we speak in what we spoke about a moment ago about the similarities between their godless culture and our godless culture, What we find is that in the midst of a godless culture, we find someone with a godly character. Did you know our culture still needs some Mordecai's? 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. What is this saying? Listen, God is simply looking in the midst of a godless culture and says, Who will I find that is good? Who will I find that is God honoring? Who will I find that is God fearing? God is looking down and saying, who will I find that has a heart that follows after me? Who can I look down and find that will love me and worship me from a heart that is following after me? We're going to discover this in the next few weeks, but Mordecai had a complete walk with God. And Mordecai in the midst of this godless culture was an individual with a godly character. I wonder this morning, when God looks down from heaven into our godless culture, does he look at your life and see someone with godly character? Someone who's God-honoring. Someone who's loving the Lord from the heart. Someone who's following after the Lord. Not just because it's expected of them, but because they love God. This was Mordecai. I see Mordecai here, and I see his... This individual with a godly godly character. But I want you to notice lastly with me and quickly this morning, the investment of godly character. Mordecai, the Bible tells us that he raised Esther, and he would actually invest a godly character into her. We don't know a lot of things about Mordecai and Esther's relationship except for that they were cousins and that he raised her to be a godly young lady. How do we know that? Well, verse number nine tells us that when she first came into that house of maidens, that she obtained favor in the sight of the godless housekeeper, Hagai or Hagee. That same thing is said about Joseph time and time again. You wanna know why it's said about them? I believe it's because they exhibited a godly character. We find that Esther, she was a humble young lady. How do we know that? Look at verse 15. When it came her time to go before the king, everybody was requiring things. Hey, what do you want when you go in? Well, I'd like to have my hair done and nails done, and I want this, and I want that. I'd like to take the king his favorite meal. What's his favorite? You know, I, when I preach this at teen camp, I tell them, uh, you know, they're like, well, what's his favorite TV show? Can I roll a TV in? And, and the king before that, what's he like from McDonald's? Can I take that in? And we, didn't, we know that they didn't have TV. All right, do you know they didn't have TV in McDonald's? They didn't, that was a joke. They didn't have that, but it says that every one of them were taking something in. But when it came her time, verse 15, right in the middle of it, it says three special words that help us see her humility. She required nothing. She required nothing. She wasn't this proud person that was thinking, I wanna go impress the king. No, she was a humble young lady. You can see in verse number, um, uh, verse number 20, it says that Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like as she was brought up in, with him Mordecai had such a lasting impact in Esther that even when she was out of his house, she still honored her people and honored her God. Mordecai raised Esther and invested a godly character into her and he had that lasting impact that she honored him and God even when she was no longer in his house. Let me just get to a thought and we'll be done this morning. It's this. We underestimate the value of of raising the next generation. We underestimate the value of raising the next generation. Do you know why I believe we read the book of Esther the way it is? Oh, it's not just because God was in control and it's not just because God was trying to work something out. I believe that we read the story of Esther and Esther was the way she was simply because of one person who invested into her life her cousin Mordecai. He invested godliness into her. He invested humility into her. He invested a God-honoring spirit into her. He invested a heart that wanted to be identified with the people of God and with Jehovah God. He invested that into her. And can I just help us understand something this morning? Do not underestimate, underestimate the value of investing in people around you. Moms, can I talk with you for just a minute? Moms and grandmoms, uh, you, don't underestimate the, the impact that you you can have on your children. Don't underestimate the impact that you could have on somebody else's children. You say, well, I don't have a very good relationship with my kids or my grandkids. Don't underestimate the impact that you can have on people around you. And I really want to take that and say it to all of us, because while today is Mother's Day, there's a great lesson that every single person in here can learn. Listen, I understand we're going a little bit longer this morning because of the child dedication. I didn't get up to preach till 1140. All right. So Stay with me. We're almost done. Stay with me. I want you to understand something this morning. We live in a godless culture and unless Christians will step up and begin being identified with God and investing a heart for God in their children and their grandchildren, I wonder what's gonna become of our country in 25 and 35 and 45 years. And some of you recycled teenagers may think in the back of your mind, well, who cares? I'll be gone. Who cares? What's going on? And I'm not trying to be sarcastic this morning. I want you to understand Sometimes our mindset is, well, who cares? My time is almost up or who cares? My children are out of the house or my kids are in their teen years. Maybe I've lost that time. Listen, don't underestimate the value of investing Jesus into people and using your life to pour Christ into someone else. You could be investing in the next Esther. You could be raising the next Mordecai. You could be the one that is lifting up and bringing before you somebody that's gonna stand up and say, thus saith the Lord and turn our country back to God. Can I just tell you right now, and I'm, I hope that each one of us would be passionate about it today, that our country, the reason our country is 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 going the way it is is because of Christians that stopped investing Jesus into the next generation and moms who stopped saying, thus saith the Lord. And I just, listen, just listen this morning and don't miss it quit it wake up church wake up believer we have people who are dying and going to hell and people that you work with that they don't know the god you worship teenager you go to school with people and their life is completely hopeless college student you have friends that they're going and struggling every day and thinking what is the point to life you have god you have hope You have Jesus, invest him into somebody. Teenager, do not underestimate the value of investing in a teacher. Kids, don't underestimate that. You might have a teacher or a principal at school that needs you to say, that's not what the Bible says. Well, I'm for abortion. That's not what the Bible says. Well, you can do this. That's not what the Bible says. Stand up and be a Christian. You never, ever, ever know What God could do if you would just be an Esther, if you would just be a Mordecai. Man, here we have this godless culture, but God is still involved. How is God involved? Because of an individual with a godly character. Can I tell you, God is still waiting for individuals with a godly character to say, I'll invest it. I'll invest him into my kids. I'll invest him into my grandkids. I'll invest him into the kids and teenagers of this church. I'll invest him into my coworkers. I will invest Jesus into the lives of people around me because we live in a godless culture and the only thing that's gonna change it, the only thing that's gonna change it is not in the White House. It is not in, in a courthouse. It is not in Olympia. I praise the Lord for the direction that some of our politicians are, are helping our country go right now, but I am friends with our congressman, Dan Newhouse, and I set a breakfast with him in March, and I looked Dan in the face, and I said, sir, you need to remember, you are not the answer. Our God is the answer, and believers carrying God is the answer. So on this Mother's Day, may we have some moms and some dads and some teenagers and some single adults and some grandchildren stand up and say, I am going to invest God into my godless society. Amen. That is what we need. When you look at this, the Bible helps us understand. Paul said it in Second 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. He said, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Why? Because they'll teach others also. They'll teach others also. I wonder this morning who needs you to invest in them? Man, who needs you? Mordecai, who needs you? Esther, what is it in your life that you need to stand up and be a godly Christian in? What is it? One man said this through the process of investing, we have the privilege of writing the history of the future. We can literally write the history of the future if we choose I live for God and no one else. Esther made a difference because Mordecai made a difference in her. But can I tell you that Esther could not have made a difference if he was not allowing God to work in his life. And you and I need to understand, you have to be different to make a difference. You cannot change anything by adding more of the same. You know what our country needs? They need you to show them Jesus. You know what your workplace needs? They need you to show them Jesus the love of God. You know what your lost family needs? They need you to say, I'm unashamed, I'm consumed, I love him from the heart, and I'm passionate about people having a heart for God. Our country, your neighborhood, our city, your family need some Christians that will say, I'm not going to miss the opportunity to invest. I'm going to invest, Jesus. I want to ask you this morning, I want to ask you this today, will you make the decision? I choose to invest. I'm done living on the sidelines. I give my life to God. I choose to invest Jesus first into my family and those around me. But that's only going to happen if you're investing Jesus into your own life. I want you to do this with me this morning. We're gonna stand in just a few moments, not yet, but in a few moments, we're gonna have an invitation. If God's challenged you today, I want you to use the altar or use your chair. And let's go to God. Let's pray for our country. Let's pray for our families. But let's pray for our lives. God, help me not to miss the opportunity. But today, maybe you can't invest God into others because God isn't in you. I wanna ask you this morning, do you know for sure if you died today that you're going to heaven? If you're here and you're not 100% that you'd spend eternity in heaven, can I tell you that God loves you? He gave his life to die on the cross so that you could have forgiveness, grace, and mercy in your life. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, during our invitation, we invite you to come and someone will take a Bible. They'll show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. Believer, if God's spoken to you today, let's respond to him. Lord, I wanna come before you and I pray that you'd bless our invitation, help us to respond to you. God, I pray that you'd help us to take the step this morning. Father, whether that's coming to the altar or maybe praying in our chair, but Father, that we would commit that on our watch, our culture is not just gonna get worse and worse because we are going to invest you into it. But Father, help us to understand that we cannot invest you into our culture unless you are being invested into our lives. So Father, help us to dedicate ourselves to a personal relationship with you each and every day. We love you, Father, and thank you for the word of God. Pray that you bless our invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.